Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us for this, the best of Sports Business Radio. And in honor of the Major League Baseball playoffs, we're going to focus on Major League Baseball and three of our best guest interviews from the last several months. In segment two, you'll hear my conversation with Stan Kasten. He's the president of the D.C. Nationals. Nationals had a tough year. They lost over 100 games, but they did open a new ballpark, and Kasten tells us about that ballpark. Interesting reading the papers this week. We see that Stan Kasten and the Lerner family, who owns the Nationals, are at odds, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. In segment two, my conversation with Stan Kasten from the D.C. Nationals. In segment three, Michael Colt. He's a senior executive with the Tampa Bay Rays. Is there a better story in baseball this year than the Tampa Bay Rays? They lost 96 games last year. They win more than 90 games this year. Joe Madden is probably the manager of the year. People are going to Rays games, and they haven't been going to Rays games in a long time. So Michael Colt will tell us about the turnaround with the Tampa Bay Rays. That's in segment three. Then in segment four, the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Frank McCourt, I think one of the best owners in all of Major League Baseball. He brings in Joe Torre, Manny Ramirez this year. They've obviously breathed life into that Dodgers franchise, have them heading into the playoffs on the right note. That Cubs-Dodgers series, that's the one I'm most excited about. So this is the best of sports business radio. Enjoy this week's show, and we'll be back with you live Next week, right here on Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. My guest is Stan Kasten. He's the president of the Washington Nationals. Stan, very busy week for you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me back. So every time you open a new facility, there's kinks to be worked out. Did everything go pretty much as you had hoped on opening night? All the big things. All the big things were uh, just fine, and uh, and that's what matters. Uh, we have a bunch of kinks, as you say, hiccups, you know, little things, punch list items to fix. Um, but all the major things got done, no catastrophes, no breakdowns of any large uh, systems, and uh, I think we're ready to have a great year here. So let's talk about some of the details of Nationals Park. Your press people sent me all of the details and uh, lots of great stuff, but what would you say – 
are the three to four signature features of the new ballpark for people who aren't really familiar with it? Well, first of all, it's a very pretty park. I think it's colorful, it's interesting, and, and the vista from foul pole to foul pole, which fans focus on, is very nice. We're going to have our cherry blossoms blooming in about a week or so. That will make it even prettier. Yeah, I love that. It's it's wide open uh, places to gather, starting with our, our dramatic entry plaza, going all the way around the park with our open uh, concourses where you can watch the game even if you're out of your seat. It has a lot of fan amenities, games and things going on, as well as bars, restaurants, and real gathering places. So I just think it can be characterized as a real fan stadium. Um, in addition to the basics, like the great proximity of seats to the field and the great angles, the, the, the immense scoreboard, it's also just a fun place to hang out, walk around, and do other things. So we're, we're very proud of, of the, whole, the whole final product. And then, you know, this is in the nation's capital. Washington, D.C. is already a tourist destination. I imagine people now coming to D.C. have one more thing to add to their list. Talk about the traits that make Washington, D.C. a unique place to host Major League Baseball. Well, as you say, it's our nation's capital, and we we take seriously our responsibility of representing uh, the national pastime in the nation's capital. We're the only team in sports that can say that, and we're proud of that. Uh, we tell people we've built Washington's newest monument because the city of monuments is a city of places to visit. Right now we're living through the, the two weeks of Cherry Blossom Festival, which which might very well make it one of the prettiest cities in the world, in addition to making it the most important city in the world. So, you know, we, we have a lot of those uh, characteristics that are unique that no other city in the world can uh, lay claim to. And I think we have a ballpark to match the grandeur of all those other designations. So, Stan, Nationals Park looks like it seats about 41,000 people, 66 luxury suites. The ballpark cost about $600 million to build. It was paid for mostly with taxpayer dollars. I know the learners kicked in quite a bit of money as well. And I know the financing of the ballpark was a big issue early on. Was there ever a time when you and the learners thought maybe this ballpark isn't going to get built? Uh, well, not since we got here, because everything uh, uh, with the contracts were buttoned up before we received the team. In fact, the day after we got the team, we attended the groundbreaking. So um, so we knew that it would get done. We didn't know we could knock it out in 23 months. We didn't know that could happen, so it took uh, uh, Herculean efforts by all parties, and, uh, and, and in particular, it took Herculean teamwork. But the city people, the construction people, the team people – all got together, all wrestled through the, the you know the the usual daily issues, uh, but we got it done and we crossed the finish line in time. Hey, you've now overseen two constructions for Turner Field in in Atlanta and now Nationals Park. Well, what, well three actually, because I also did uh, Phillips Arena. Oh my God! So, what is for a ballpark like this? What is you just said twenty three months? What's the normal amount of time that people usually take to build a ballpark? I, I think it's it's best done if you can give people a full thirty six months from uh, design wow. to uh, from groundbreaking to construction. But but we we employed a lot of techniques to uh, to shave some of that time. And again, it's a tribute to the designers and it's a tribute to the construction team of Clark Hunt Smoot that did a great great job. We're joined by Stan Cast, and he's the president of the Washington Nationals. What are the expectations of the fans in D.C. for our nationwide audience who you know, doesn't really know the mindset of the D.C. sports fan? Uh, what are they thinking? Do they say, hey, you better win right now, or are they going to be patient with you for a few years? 
You know, I, I well, I think there are fans of all kinds, but but we've been very direct, very open since day one. This is how we're going to build it. I don't think you can build uh, a franchise by just going out and signing a lot of free agents. And, and I will show you a hundred examples of teams that have failed trying to do it that way. We think we need to build our infrastructure first. We've set about doing that extremely aggressively, and we think the uh, the results are starting to show from that. So. Yeah, there there are fans. I'm sure that uh, we'll stay home until we're you know a championship team. And there are others, and I would say most, that are very comfortable with how we're going about this and that are ready to support us. And probably even more so now that we have a great venue that will give you a great time, a great afternoon, or a great evening, no matter what's happening on the field. So I, I'm I'm confident that the support here in Washington will continue to be as strong as it has been our first three years. Well, I've got to tell you, I love some of the moves you made in the offseason. Uh, Lasting's Millage, uh, obviously Ryan Zimmerman's a, a tremendous player. Uh, you know, Austin Kearns, you acquired him at the end of last season. You've got a really nice young core of talent. Well, I do, and you know, that that's not an accident. That's what we were trying to accomplish. Um, we have uh, some, you know, a good mix right now of veterans with uh, with young, athletic, high-potential guys. And the best news of all for us is watching our rotation in Columbus this year, where we have five or six pitchers in our rotation, all of whom will be pitching in the major leagues very, very soon. That's a thrilling prospect for us. We see all of them as the next wave, and that wave is right around the corner. And once we have a stable rotation up here in Washington, then the sky's the limit for our team on the field. Stan, i got to tell you, every time I watch a move that you guys make, whether it's on the field or off, I can't help but look at what you did with the Braves. Are you taking some of that playbook and just you know, using it here with the Nationals? Because obviously it was very successful. You turned the Braves into really the model organization in Major League Baseball. Well, uh, you know, the, surely there were things that happened in Atlanta that were great and that I would always try to copy. I think other theme, teams copy, but but I look at you know all of the successful teams to copy ideas from them my 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 very deeply held belief about building through player development doesn't come from the Braves or any other team it goes back as far as Branch Rickey in the 30s you know i just think it's it's the right way to do it but to do it successfully you need the patience and the support of owners we had that in Atlanta and we really have it here in Washington and that's why we're going to be successful because i think we've designed uh, our methodology we have ownership support. Uh, the entire learner family is behind us, and uh, we will be given the time and the resources to make it happen. We are with Stan Caston, the president of the Washington Nationals. We've got just a few minutes left. Stan, I've got a three-year-old daughter, and when I go to sporting events now, I look at things completely differently than I did before I had a child. I see you've got some really cool things for the kids. Uh, you've got a Build-A-Bear workshop. You've got a karaoke stage, batting and pitching cages. It looks like you really... Uh, have targeted the young families coming to your games. Yeah, she'll probably like our very elaborate baseball-themed jungle gym. Ah. Um, and we have kids' concession stands with, uh, you know, smaller food items as well as a peanut butter and jelly bar. We, you know, we... Uh, for me to get my two or three million fans, I need to reach out to a lot more than just hardcore fans who sit there keeping score on every play. We need to reach out to non-hardcore fans. We need, need to reach out to, to kids, to seniors, to ethnic groups, to every different possible kind of uh, demographic. And so we need a park that accommodates all of them. That's what I think we have here. And I think everyone who comes out to the park is going to have a great time. Every park has its signature 
food items. For instance, you know, Dodger dogs at Dodger Stadium. If I'm coming to Nationals Park, what do you suggest I eat and drink while I'm there? Well, one of the signatures about food in uh, Nationals Park is variety. We have everything you can imagine. We have 11 local vendors. And over the first weekend, the, the stands that got the most attention were 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 local institutions like Ben's Chili Bowl and Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Though those were very popular. Uh, if there's a signature item, I'll I'll direct you to Noah's Pretzels, a local vendor who has come up with the Curly W Pretzel, shaped in the <laughs> shape of our logo. It's a delicious, freshly baked, hand rolled pretzel. And you know it it says Washington Nationals. What could be better than that? Yeah, one of the things I saw in, in the press items that were sent my way is that it looks like you also serve foods that are signature items at other ballparks around the country, at least yeah. National League teams. I think that's really clever. At the Taste of the Majors, that's what it's for. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, what we think about when fans come to the ballpark is there's not, not one thing that everyone's going to like, but we think everyone's going to find something that they like because we've put so much variety into the park. We think that's the way to go. We're proud of what we've been able to accomplish so far. And if there are better ideas down the road, we're very, very happy to adjust and continue to revise and improve. Stan, last question. I see the Pope is scheduled to say Mass at National Park sometime this month. How did that come about? Well, he heard about the Curly W pretzel. <laughs> no, he... Uh, he wanted to uh, uh, hold two masses in the United States, and he chose Yankee Stadium in New York and Nationals Park in Washington, D.C. It really is uh, the exclamation point on my claim that we are the most important venue in the most important city in the world, and these are the kind of things that will take place at Nationals Park. So as I said when I started, we take our responsibility very seriously. We think we've delivered on the promises we made and this is just one more indication of that. Well, Stan, thanks for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Stan, congratulations on the opening of Nationals Park. You guys are doing a wonderful job there. Uh, keep up the good work, and I hope to get out there one of these days and uh, check it out in person. Thanks, Brian. Good thanks. talking to you. Thank you, Stan. Bye. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Michael Colt. He's the Senior Vice President of Development and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays. Michael's joined us on the show before. Michael, uh, thanks for taking the time. No problem. Happy to be here. 
So the Rays are really one of the incredible surprises in Major League Baseball so far this season. Uh, you know, the team's been in first place in the tough AL East in front of teams with some of the biggest payrolls in baseball, the Yankees, the Red Sox. What's been the recipe for success for the team so far? I know you're more focused on off the field, not on the field, but as someone who's part of the organization, uh, what's working for you so far? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's really been the, you know, the, the, the payoff of the philosophy that, that Andrew and Stu and our baseball ops people have been preaching for the last couple of years, which is patience and developing from within and, you know, making targeted investments in the right place. And, uh, you know, so far so good. We're you know we're we're very happy with the results, but it's a long season, so we're not going to get uh, too cocky yet. How's the success uh, translated at the box office with ticket sales? I've been to games there before at the Trop, and it's no secret that you know the attendance has been down in in recent years. But it seems like since new ownership took over, uh, you've been trending in this direction. Now that the team's literally sitting atop the standings in the AL East, uh, has that translated at the box office? You know, it hasn't really yet, but you know, it's it. You know, you can't expect that to happen overnight. You know, it's like I said, we're only a quarter away into the season, so you know we're expecting that if we keep this up, we'll we'll see some real uh, demonstrable increases at the box office. But so far, it's you know really hasn't had much of an impact. We're joined by Michael Colt. He's the senior vice president of development and business affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Michael, explain your job. I know one of your main jobs is working on a new ballpark for the Rays, but for our listeners out there, can you explain exactly what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, day-to-day basis lately, it's basically been working on a new ballpark. Uh, generally, it's business development in general, so it's uh, been heavily involved with building a new spring training facility down in Port Charlotte, uh, looking at our TV deal, looking at you know trying to expand the market through strategic investments and strategic partnerships like we did with Disney, but um, the ballpark has been a very big chunk of what I've been doing the last six months. Now, you aren't going to toot your own horn, so let me toot it for you. Uh, Michael was really the guy driving the new stadium deals in New York with the Mets and the Yankees. So you've been down this road before. How does this project compare to those? Well, first of all, I'd say a lot of people uh, could take credit for that. I was on the city end, but there are a lot of people who put the Mets and the Yankees on the other side of that who worked very hard getting those deals done and you know, or have some two brand-new stadiums that are going to hopefully open next year and be tremendous successes up there. So I don't want to take too much credit for that. But, uh, you know, every place is different. I mean, at the base of these things, they're, you know, just large-scale development projects. And, uh, you know, anyone who's in real estate development will tell you you move 15 miles down the road into a different jurisdiction and you have a whole different set of issues. So, um, you know, part of it is the same in the sense that you have to, you know, justify the investment both from the private and the public side. Um, part of it's different. Obviously, New York uh, is a much different political climate than St. Pete, um, for better or for worse. I mean, uh, it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit more complex. But at the same time, uh, everything you do on a ballpark project doesn't quite garner the same amount of attention as it would in a smaller city like it does down here. Um, so probably the biggest difference is down here. We need a public referendum for the project to go forward, and that brings its a whole new set of uh, complications and complexities with it. How's that been received? I mean, you know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and I've watched closely the Seattle Sonics situation. Different sport, but another instance where people are asking for taxpayer money. Hasn't gone over well. In California, the Kings, the Chargers, they've asked for taxpayer money. Hasn't gone over well. How's it going over there in uh, Florida? Well, first of all, we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to come up, together, come up with a financing plan where we're not really asking for taxpayer money. One of the advantages we have over... Other teams is that we're sitting on a very, very large site where the trop is currently located, and we think uh, we put together a plan where we can pay for this 
that not only doesn't ask taxpayer money, but it also generates revenue right off the bat because of the value of the site we're currently sitting on and the development potential it has. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, you have a similar hurdle to jump over in all these deals, which is, you know, the, the public skepticism about putting any dollars, whether it's, uh, you know, incremental or, or new into uh, a facility that's benefiting a private enterprise. And I wouldn't say it's just about sports franchises, it's about any sort of business uh, development uh, money that goes, comes from the public anywhere. Um, you know, I think we're, you know, we're, we're going through a very long and extensive public process where we're basically presenting the, the facts as we know them and ultimately letting the public decide. So, you know, it's, it certainly is not the easiest process to go through, but we think there's a lot of value to it. And at the end of the day, we think we have a, the makings of a project that can really be tremendous for the city and for the county and, you know, of course, for us as a, as, as a baseball team. How far along are you in this process? I mean, in a perfect world, when do you get this ballpark built and when does it open? Perfect world, we'd be on the ballot for a referendum in November and uh, hopefully in the ground sometime middle of next summer and opening in 2012. Uh, we're about halfway through sort of a year-long outreach process. We uh, announced the project last November. Um, we're today actually uh, going to present to the St. Pete City Council a financing plan for the project that we think works and that we can use as a basis for coming up with a more detailed agreement. Um, if uh, they think it forms a good basis for for an agreement that everyone could, can live with and sees value in, then hopefully they'd vote to put that on the ballot and ultimately be up to the voters in November to decide whether or not the project goes forward. I've seen some of the renderings for the proposed ballpark. It looks really cool. Would you mind sharing some of maybe the major features of this new park? Well, the, the biggest feature and, the, and the, the real sort of um, design inspiration behind it was really to build a glorified spring training ballpark. Um, you know, one of the issues that we, we think is – uh, made baseball less successful at the major league level than it otherwise could have been in the state of Florida so far is about how the two venues don't really show off what's great and what historically has been terrific about baseball in the state, which is, you know, that sense of intimacy and being outdoors and really um, uh, connecting with the players on a one-to-one level that you had in the state historically for 70 or 80 years before major league baseball came here on a regular season basis. And so what Stu and, and the rest of us uh, – sat down and thought about how to plan this park, particularly since we were building on the Outline Field site, which is the historical home of spring training. Um, the first thing we did was to charge HOK with, the, with you know, the goal of give us a glorified spring training park, give, give us something that we can sell to people as spring training doesn't have to end in, in March. It can basically you can get that feel of intimacy in the state and really hearken all the things that are great about baseball in Florida historically all year round. And so um, it's a 34,000-seat open-air ballpark on the waterfront, on a site that's very similar to to, uh, to Pac Bell or AT and T Park, and um, the difference is it's it's open air, um, has the smallest upper deck in in uh, Major League Baseball, be about 10,000 seats. The difference is is that it has a roof cover that's it's hard to explain on the radio, but it's a uh, an arch that rings the back half of the building in a mass that sits in left center field with cables that suspend between the two. Wow! To pull forward like a giant umbrella, basically to provide rain protection, but also to provide protection from the heat because it will shade the facility during the day. So, uh, you know, we think it's a really, really cool design. What we were looking for is something that's really that iconic building, kind of the Sydney Opera House of the Tampa Bay area that can kind of stamp an identity not only on the team but on the region also. And uh, we're pretty excited about the design. So all, all the images, I'm going to put my shameless pitch in for Please. our website, MajorLeagueDowntown.com, and all the images are on there if folks are interested in seeing it. You know, 34,000 seats, would that make it the smallest ballpark in Major League Baseball? It would. Um, I believe the, the A's plans for Fremont are roughly 32,000 seats, so depending on uh, 
who opens when uh, they they can they can outsmall us, I guess. But uh, but uh, it would be among current stadiums the smallest ballpark in baseball. See, now I've been saying this for years, and I want to get your take on this. I've been saying the day is going to come, and I think it's now coming uh, when. We're going to build smaller, more intimate venues, and we're going to charge more money for that intimacy. Uh, do you think that's what you're doing here? That's what they've done at Pac Bell, maybe some other places where you're not building these 65, 70,000 seat stadiums where there's a ton of empty seats? Well, I think it's two things that are really driving it. The first is that, um, you know, there's a sense that, except in a, in a very small number of markets, um, you know, the demand just isn't there for 55, 60,000 seats. 81 times a year, and, you know, those capacities in some ways were driven by the fact that in the 60s and 70s you had multi-purpose venues that were also being used for football. Um, You know, there's also a financial uh, reason behind it, too, which is, you know, unlike almost everything else in real estate, when you're building a ballpark, those last 10,000 seats are the most expensive to build, and you're getting the the least amount of value from them. You know, they're high up in the air, they require steel, they're all the way down the lines in the upper deck, Um, and really the difference between a... 34,000 seat ballpark and a 40,000 seat ballpark or 42 is those last three or four sections in the outfield down the lines in the upper deck. And those are really expensive and you're selling them the le- to build and you're selling it the least amount of time. And when you do, you're selling it for the lowest ticket price. And, you know, if you want to provide people with a low price point, there are easier ways to do it that are less expensive. You know, a, you know, the, the Padres do a five or a $7 berm seat, things like that, which, you know, is a lot less expensive, gives people a better environment, doesn't create this big hulking building that's, you know, ultimately more costly to build. So, um, I, I totally agree. I think that is the model that's being followed. It certainly I'd give the Pirates kind of the credit for really taking it to the next level when they built PNC, and obviously the A's feel pretty strongly about it as well with their design for Fremont. We've got just a few minutes left with Michael Colt. He's the Senior Vice President of Development and Business Affairs for the Tampa Bay Rays here on Sports Business Radio. Uh, Michael, I saw that you just signed uh, Scott Casimir, your star pitcher, to a new contract this week. I also saw you traded Delman Young away last season. It looks like new ownership, since they've come in, has really put a priority on character. Uh, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions on Delman. He's a great player, and he's going to have a great career in Minnesota. And frankly, you know, we wish him all the best. Uh, you know, for us, it was about, you know, making the moves that we think, you know, give us depth in areas we needed it and, and uh, traded from, from, you know, places that we already had depth. And I think that was really the the, the impetus behind the behind the Delman deal. And obviously Andrew could elaborate on a little bit more. But, uh, you know, we think we've gotten good payoff, particularly in terms of what, what uh, Jason Bartlett's presence on the team has done to our infield defense. Um, you know, in terms of Kaz, obviously, you know, it's a, uh, it's a very big investment for us, but, you know, anyone who's seen Scott Casimir pitch knows that uh, hopefully it'll be more than more than worth it. He's uh, he's one of the most exciting young pitchers in baseball, and uh, you know the opportunity to lock him up for for a few years beyond his free agent years, and and uh, feel good about him pitching in Tampa Bay, and and ultimately hopefully pitching some real meaningful games in October was uh, too good to pass up. Well, I'm excited to watch the Rays the rest of the way, Michael. I appreciate you taking time. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse. The best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Michael, uh, very interested to follow what you have going on there in Tampa, on the field and off, and uh, would love to have you on the show again in the future. Anytime, Brent. Thank you, Michael. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. 
Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. My guest is Frank McCourt. He is the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mr. McCourt, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us again. Hey, Brian, it's my pleasure. It's good to be with you again. So, you know, you joined us last August when you launched Think Cure, and Think Cure was established last year by Dodgers ownership, the City of Hope, and Children's Hospital Los Angeles as a community project to support cancer research and to quicken the pace of work being done to understand and cure cancer. And Mr. McCourt, your family has been very generous. You've personally pledged to match up to $1 million to raise funds for Think Cure. How's the other fundraising efforts going since you launched this in August? It's it's been great. I mean, it's it, it, people are just incredibly generous, and 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 cancer is something that touches everybody, and and uh, in one way, shape, or form. I, I don't think there's anybody who hasn't been touched in, in a way by cancer, and and uh, it's a disease that that uh, whether or not uh, you you, you it, it afflicts you personally, it it afflicts you when it afflicts somebody else, and and uh, it's a disease that that affects families and and uh, and communities. So. The, the all of the experts, uh, you know, they tell me that that, uh, and they know far more than I do about this. I'm talking about the doctors and the scientists and the researchers. Tell me that cancer can be cured they're, they're, with with what's going on with the genome and what's going on with molecular biology and all the discoveries and all of the advance advancements of science. Uh, a cure is there. It's within our grasp, within our lifetime. And so, what we're trying to do with Think Cure is bring a focus on this, really, really bring energy to this topic, as so many other people are doing, by the way, and let's rally and let's, let's, let's figure out a way to nail this and find a cure for this disease and so that it's, it doesn't take lives. It's a chronic, it becomes a chronic disease which is manageable and uh, allows people to live long and productive lives. It's really wonderful work that you're doing. We're joined by Frank McCourt. He's the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. All right, Mr. McCourt, let's talk a little bit of baseball. It's been an interesting offseason for the Dodgers. Uh, one of the big things you did to make news, you hired Joe Torre. He's a fantastic manager. He's wonderful in the community. He's got his Safe at Home Foundation. Talk about what Joe Torre brings to the table for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He, he immediately, immediately brings a... Uh, it personifies, let's say, the, everything we want for the Dodgers. Uh, he's a winner, uh, he's a leader, and, he, and he's a class individual. And that's what the Dodgers are all about, winning in the right way. Uh, when Joe became available, we, it was a no-brainer. We, we needed to move quickly, uh, hire him, bring him on board. Uh, thankfully, everything worked out. You know, Joe grew up in Brooklyn, he grew up a Dodger fan, he went to Ebbets Field, so he knows what this franchise is all about. He knows the possibilities. So immediately, by as soon as he put that cap on and donned and don that jersey, I think that everything 
uh, took a giant step forward. So we're very, very excited about it. I know the players I've interacted with them are very excited, and, and of course the fans um, uh, have embraced the move as well. And, and uh, uh, so it's, it's just a, a great step forward, that combined with some of the great free agents that we were able to, to uh, go out and, and, and find this offseason, like Corota and Jones and so on and so forth, and add that to our younger players who are a year older, and we were able to keep everybody in our organization this past year. So we have the depth that it's going to take to win and the depth that it's going to take to overcome injuries and, and the ups and downs of a, 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 of a season. So a lot of optimism in the air right now, but of course we have to go play the games. You know, I lived in Los Angeles. I went to school down there at Loyola Marymount, and I've seen that the battle for the entertainment dollar, it's as competitive in Los Angeles as it is anywhere in the country. And you've got the Angels, the Lakers, USC and UCLA. You've even got the beaches and, and Disneyland to compete with. In addition to the hiring of Joe Torre, you've also added some real bright marketing minds to your front office staff in recent months. For people in our audience who don't live in Los Angeles, can you describe the type of market Los Angeles is and what are the main factors that people are considering when they're deciding how to spend their entertainment dollar? Well, it's the entertainment capital of the world. And, uh, and it's, it, it, it is that for a number of reasons. And uh, obviously that there's much entertainment that gets produced here and exported around the world. But there's also a lot of entertainment that, that is available here. Uh, it also happens to be one of the most beautiful parts of the world, which is why uh, so many people come to Southern California and stay. It's, uh, you know, I'm looking out the window. It's another gorgeous, gorgeous morning uh, here in L.A. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful day. So, um, and you're right, the, the, the sheer beauty of the place, the, the healthy lifestyle, the, you know, where people can get out and do things, the beaches and and add that to all of the different forms of entertainment, and there is a lot to do. But that said, um, there's nothing there's nothing else like the Dodgers in this community. The Dodgers are about family. The Dodgers are about community. The Dodgers are about history and tradition. And you know, families come to Dodger Stadium in record numbers. More fans have come to watch the Dodgers play baseball than any other team in the history of sports. It's, uh, so there's a loyalty and a commitment to this franchise like uh, no other. So it's, a, it's very, very special, and we take that responsibility very seriously. We don't own the team. We're stewards of this franchise, and, and uh, we really, really have a keen interest in doing what's best for the fans. Uh, you know, the, for instance, the move of our spring training facility, as difficult a decision as that was after six decades in Dodgertown, to move the spring training to, uh, to the Glendale Phoenix area was all about the fans bringing spring, the spring training experience closer to our fans, and of course, evidence of, of um, or validation of that decision was occurred this past week when we barnstormed through Phoenix to sell out crowds wherever we went, and it was just a sea of blue. So, these fans are very, very dedicated to this franchise. They own it. They love it. They're 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 passionate about the franchise. And it's a little different than some of the other options that you refer to in L.A. because this is something that's 50 years. The city grew up and the team grew up together. You know, speaking of Dodger Town, I thought that you said goodbye with a lot of class, a lot of respect. And then, you know, you're a real estate guy, and I see where you may bring some of Dodger Town to Los Angeles. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, uh, L.A. is Dodger Town, and uh, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, that, that um, uh, we're not really leaving uh, Dodger Town. We're, we're, we're going to think of ways to, 
to make sure that Dodger Town is alive and well here in L.A. So uh, we're, we're right now in the process of, of polling our fans and, and, um, and, and asking them as many questions as we can about what do they want with their baseball experience. What would they like to see Dodger Stadium look like in three or four years? Um, you know, we have been doing work each offseason since we bought the franchise in 2004. Um, and it, we asked the fans early on when we, when we arrived, what, what are the things that we could do to make your experience better at Dodger Stadium? And I mean that question um, aside from winning. And, uh, and, and the answer we received was uh, fix the seats, uh, uh, fix the parking situation, mm-hmm. and shorten the concession lines and the weights at the, in, in the restroom facilities. And so a couple years ago, we replaced all the seats. This past off season, we, we made a huge strides in solving the parking issue, and we've done some more things this off season. And, uh, and, and this off season, we tackled the concourse, the field level concourse, completely widened it and, 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 and replaced everything on that concourse so we've doubled the um uh the number of concession stands and doubled the capacity in the restrooms so that we should theoretically cut the lines in half and uh, and so these are the types of things that we want to do to improve the experience i mean there'll be nearly four million fans out at dodger stadium this year and and uh, we want to make sure that the experience they have is great uh, um, you know, obviously, job number one is a winning franchise, a team worthy of the fan support on the field. But whether the team wins or not, we want to make sure that the families that come to Dodger Stadium have a great experience. We've got just a few minutes left. We're joined by Frank McCourt. He is the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mr. McCourt, you recently returned from a trip to China where the Dodgers played the San Diego Padres. I had the opportunity to go to China for the first time last September. I was really amazed at the economic growth, all the construction going on in that part of the world. Share with us your thoughts of China, if you would. A country on the move. Right. Sure. Uh, amazing place. Uh, I, I, I was very proud, by the way, to bring the Dodgers there and, and to play the first Major League Baseball games ever in that country. Right. Just another, uh, you know, another piece of the history of this great franchise and you know, whether it was opening up Japan or Korea or Chinese Taipei or Latin America, the Dodgers have been first breaking the color barrier, of course, with Jackie Robinson and so on and so forth. So it's really part of the, the, the DNA, so to speak, of this organization is to, is to break down barriers or maybe more positively build bridges to different communities because it's, it, it's a, baseball is about building community and it's the great aspect of the sport. I, I, I was incredibly incre- impressed with with, um, with the people in China. I, 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 I think we, we, we went to China with, with the idea of bringing the gift of baseball to the Chinese people. I think we all left with a bigger gift, which was um, uh, we were the beneficiaries of their warmth, uh, their generosity, and, and most importantly, their friendship. It, it's, it's an amazing place to see um, the Forbidden City and the Great Wall and all these uh, incredible icons that, that, that were built hundreds and hundreds of years ago juxtaposed against the new CCTV building designed by Rem Koolhaas or, or the um, Bird's Nest Olympic Stadium, uh, these very contemporary, contemporary designs that uh, are juxtaposed against these uh, old uh, uh, old structures that we've seen pictures of when we were kids in our history books. and Right. So it's just amazing. It's a country, as I said uh, initially, that's on the move. Uh, very, very interesting people, eager, eager to, uh, to learn. They love um, uh, America, by the way, and, 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 and the things about 
uh, America. You know, it's it's a. Uh, I'll tell you just a little story. I, I, I was having some guests out here at, at, in L.A. at Dodger Stadium, touring the stadium, and one of the Chinese gentlemen saw the picture of Jackie Robinson, and he stopped, and he said, that's when I fell in love with baseball. Wow. Uh, he said that, that Jackie Robinson, being a Dodger, uh, and, and be, being able to follow his dream and, uh, and achieve the, the, the American dream, to him it wasn't so much a black American as it was, it was somebody who had a dream. And he said, if Jackie Robinson could do it, I could, my dream could come true as well. So I thought that was a very, very touching thing. And uh, th- th- these are two great countries, America and China, and, and getting along is critically important. And so there was, a, there was goodwill built during this baseball trip. So I think at the end of the day, it was the non-baseball aspect of the trip that I'll remember the most. Last question. It's been an interesting offseason for Major League Baseball. Uh, the Mitchell Report came out. We've seen players like Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds steroid discussions in the news while that is going on we still have record attendance at baseball parks people are coming out to the baseball parks and in love with major league baseball give me your overall thought on the state of major league baseball if you would as healthy as it's ever been as popular as it's ever been and completely committed to to ridding the game of steroids and all uh performance enhancing substances it needs to be a game that's played fair and square uh i think that the the, the great numbers coming out to watch the game of baseball and, and, and the great numbers of fans participating is, is clear evidence of that. This game we're having at the Coliseum will have over 115,000 people, biggest crowd ever in the history of baseball. Uh, they're there not because of you know steroids or this or that. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. They're, the fans want those that are responsible for making the rules and enforcing the rules to do just that. They want to go support their team, be there with their family, and enjoy themselves. And baseball provides an unparalleled experience in that regard. It's one of the great, great things that America has to offer where you can spend valuable, precious time with your family at the ballpark enjoying your hometown team. And, um, you know, baseball in America uh, is, is so much embedded in America's culture it's, it's, it's a sport that uh, it, it's incumbent upon all of us who have the privilege of being involved in it to make sure that it's, it's operated at the very highest level uh, and, and we do what's in the best interest of the fans at all times because at the end of the day, it's the fans who own the sport. Mr. McCourt, thanks so much for taking time to join me. Guests appearing during our Sports End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's a steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Mr. McCourt, you're doing fantastic work, not only with your franchise, but also in the community with Think Cure. I congratulate you, and I wish you the best of luck this weekend. Appreciate your kind words, Brian. You have a great day. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, the powers that be with Major League Baseball and Commissioner Bud Selig have to be happy with the teams that have made the Major League Baseball postseason. You've got two teams from Los Angeles, the Angels and the Dodgers. You've got two teams from Chicago now, the White Sox and the Cubs. And then you've got big markets like Philadelphia and Boston. So a lot of storylines, compelling storylines for the baseball playoffs that uh, will make things very interesting. Fox is getting $200,000 for a 30-second spot in the National League Championship Series and $400,000 for similar time in the World Series. Turner is getting $50,000 per 30-second spot in the divisional round and $125,000 per 30-second spot in the ALCS. Now, Fox this year in 2008 is averaging a 2.0 rating for 25 Major League Baseball broadcasts. That's down 15% from last year's 2.3 rating. So they're really counting on these playoffs to boost their ratings for the year. A lot of thank yous on our show this week. Stan Kasten from the D.C. Nationals, Michael Colt from the Tampa Bay Rays, Frank McCourt from the Los Angeles Dodgers, our show staff Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I hope you've enjoyed this, the best of Sports Business Radio. Enjoy the Major League Baseball playoffs. I know I will. And we'll see you live right here next week on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.